Hello, and welcome to Carefully Taught, teaching musical theater with Maddie and Kiko. A podcast to discuss musical theater pedagogy and to create a community of sharing amongst musical theater educators. Feel free to email us at carefullytaughtpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at carefullytaughtpodcast. So, uh, Kiko, we have had a couple of really interesting conversations that we had initially thought we would combine into one episode, but they were so exciting and so fruitful that we expanded them into to two. I think it was the right thing to do. I mean, the, <laughs> each of the conversations were so wonderful. And how can you um, just give 30 minutes in a space when it really feels like you need all of the time? Don't you yeah. think? Yeah, oh, for sure. And so what it and what's interesting is that the, the these interviews, these two interviews that we did, did uh, they started as what we were thinking was going to be part three of so you want to be a musical theater educator. But then the more that we talked to both of these individuals, it was clear that they already are musical theater educators. They're just early career, new, new musical theater educators, but they are already shaping the musical theater education conversation. That's right. So uh, our first interview is going to be with Van Angelo, who is currently an SDSU MFA candidate um, and and is already working in San Diego, um, working with young people, um, teaching classes uh, as part of the, the work that they do as graduate students. They're teaching undergraduates um, and, you know, doing all sorts of things. So like that's uh, I'm loved that conversation and um, felt super inspired by it, like walked away uh, with even thoughts about ways in which um, we uh, take and think about performance as curriculum, you know, um, think about the ways that uh, the those young performers, that point of entry performer, um, the inspiration and the work really begins there as we're thinking about um, their trajectory into um, higher ed and, and then beyond, right? Um, what that looks like. What yeah. else did you think about Van's interview? Well, I, I just love connecting with them. The, uh, Van, um, I was introduced to Van at the most recent Musical Theater Educators Alliance conference where they presented and their presentation was so powerful and they, I find them to be very inspirational when they speak. So being able to continue that inspiration beyond just the presentation that I saw that them did, they, they did, but also um, the conversation and the back and forth. Uh, Van, un, unlike some of us, is really committed to not only making an impact on musical theater education at the at the collegiate level, but also um, they do not want to stop working with kids because of how impactful and important that experience is. So um, I thought that was really interesting, and I just I just loved hearing them talk. And then part two, we just spoke with the amazing Rose Van Dyne, who um, has. Uh, we we both have different histories with, but uh, and we talk a little bit about that on that episode. So this is a preview, though, of what will come in a in a week or so. Um, but we also had an amazing conversation with Rose as well. Yeah, Rose is such a special human, and I feel so much gratitude for them, her being in my life. Like I just I think she's an incredible person. One of the things that we talk about is. 
um, you know, we created a course here at Chico State called Social Justice and Theater, which is now like this foundational course that every single student takes their freshman year. And the very first time we offered it, I had I I was able to get Rose hired to be the instructor, and what she was able to do with the class and and the way that uh, the way that she was able to connect with the students was was really great. And she talks a little bit about uh, about that on that episode. But um, just in terms of previewing it, um, I just she speaks and I and I just want to work with her in any yep. any opportunity that I have. That's another one where um, when that time comes for us to drop that episode, you'll need a pad of paper yeah. and a pen because yeah, uh, sure. you will inevitably be writing some notes down i have um, a full page of notes sitting right in front of me since we had just finished recording it uh and i can't wait to go back and and uh look at all of the things that i had written down and she had a really interesting recommendation too which i'm excited for our listeners to hear so we hope that you enjoy this episode with van angelo Hi, Van. How are you? Hi. I'm doing all right. I'm happy to be here. I'm really glad that y'all asked me to talk to you. I love talking. Yes, we, um, you, you know, I'm really excited because you are uh, currently at San Diego State University working on your MFA in musical theater. That's where I graduated from in 2016. And um, it's been fun even as we're prepping uh, to, to speak to you to see all the spaces behind you in in our uh, Zoom. So talk to us a little bit about um, where you are right now and, and w what part of the process of the MFA you're in. Yeah, um, physically, currently, I am in the, the MFA archive, the Musical Theater Archive at San Diego State. In my process, uh, I am a little bit over a week into the second semester of this four semester program. Um, so uh, almost halfway, a little bit past halfway to the halfway point um, <laughs> in this MFA degree. Um, I am, I don't know, I'm just here learning a lot. I'm teaching a couple of classes. I'm teaching um, my second time teaching voice and movement. I'm teaching voice lessons for the undergrads, taking amazing courses like script and score analysis and directing and a musical theater studio course, which is all really, really great um, because it's also helping me supplement the work that I do outside of school because I do a lot of musical theater education with a lot of the youth uh, programs in San Diego, specifically San Diego Musical Theater, New Village Arts, and Moonlight Amphitheater up in Vista, California. So is that where you're from? I mean, were, were all of those places that you were working um, prior to starting your MFA or did you just develop all those relationships upon arrival in San Diego? Um, I developed most of them right before, literally like a couple of months before I started this MFA. So I'm from Southern California, but I'm up from the Inland Empire area, born and raised in Riverside. I went to college on the East Coast, but then came back um, and I was teaching high school for about five years before I uh, decided to get this MFA. And um, right around the time that I left public education and was applying for this program, I started doing more work in San Diego County 
which was very convenient because this degree program is located in San Diego County. So um, all of the uh, theater education, uh, teaching artist jobs that I have, were just really serendipitous and have now been really supplemented by the work that I am getting to do during this program. And then taking it literally in the evenings, I go rehearse something else in the evening and get to use the skills that I'm learning in grad school. It's very fun. I love that we um, are speaking to you. You know, this episode is about um, you know, so you want to be a musical theater educator. And it's interesting because folks who find themselves in this program come to it with a lot of experience teaching, actually, like teaching or performing or directing lots of different um, ways to get there. But but then there is that next step of of going out and applying to the jobs and finding finding that ideal position for yourself. Can you give us a little insight as to where you see yourself after this program and um, and what what vision you have for that aspect? Chico yeah. State, by the way, Chico State is the correct answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maddie has been telling me Chico State since we met. Um, I truly, a lot of where I would like to be is in California. I'm born and raised from here. Um, I, it's really interesting because as I was applying for this program, I knew that I wanted to do collegiate work. That was a big push as to why I wanted to get this MFA. But um, I didn't really know what that was going to look like. And so it's continuously changing and shifting while I'm in this program, which I think is great. Um, currently, to me, that looks like an adjunct position somewhere that would allow me to teach and work with students at the collegiate level, but then also give me a little bit more freedom to do things outside of the classroom as well. I'm a music director, um, but in a lot of spaces, and I love working with high schoolers specifically because that's a lot of where my background is from. Uh, quiet is kept. Currently, the dream that I keep dreaming, I feel like Mama Rose, uh, we've been reading Gypsy. Uh, the dream that I keep dreaming is that I want to take over theater education in San Diego, like youth theater education. So I'm already working with a couple of different theaters with their academies and youth theaters already. And I, when you think of theater education for a high school and under in San Diego, I want you to think of my name. That is my current goal. Wow. And then, and San Diego really is a hotbed for youth musical theater programs. I'm always astonished. I feel like Every time I have a conversation with a prospective student from that area, they're associated with a different children's theater or youth theater organization. It's kind of amazing. Yeah. So um, we met at the most recent Musical Theater Educators Alliance conference where you presented and your present your presentation was engaging and striking and 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 empowering and, and exciting it was everything it was it was everything and that's where you really got my attention not to mention you asked a really great question to like one of the very first guests that we had i think it was jay you asked you asked jay to yeah you remember yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and i was like who is this person over here and then you presented and i was like oh well this person is my future colleague this is who my this person is so i'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that presentation that you did at the conference uh because i imagine a lot of our listeners were not able to attend in person 
Yeah, so the presentation that I gave was called uh, Name It, Claim It, and it was a talk on anti-racist music practices, specifically geared around music directors, but also like common practices that I feel like should be implemented in a, a lot of spaces, not just musical theater, but we're at an MTEA conference, so we're talking about musical theater. Uh, the talk came from um, last semester, I took a writing course, and we had to do a research paper, and um you're, you're not everybody's going to be able to see me in this moment, but I'm black. So I like to talk about black things. And specifically, I'm a black music director. So that was like my first instinct is to talk about I've been in spaces, so many spaces where there are just like microaggressions and just like casual racism in the space. And a lot of it is perpetuated. Um, or starts in a process in the music rehearsal because music is almost always the first thing that we do when it comes to a process. And so uh, part of my reasoning behind talking to music directors specifically is to try and mitigate some of that harm at the top of a process and also hopefully institute processes that will continue to help mitigate the uh, harm as we move past just learning music and starting to get into staging and creating community because those are tenants that I feel like are really important as an educator and as a human being, honestly. I, I hope yeah, that answers you, your question. It was so, I, I thought the question was answered. It was, you know, sort of telling us about it. And I'm, I'm wondering after presenting that, after mm. processing, um, uh, I'm imagining it, my favorite things are the conversations that happen um, at lunch or um, at the coffee area. Like, did you have um, responses um, from folks internationally and and even domestically about um, uh, shared uh, feelings about what you presented? Yeah, everyone. Um, it was really interesting because the day that I presented was um, a really not heavy day in terms of like weight, but a heavy day where there was a lot of talk about, we started the day off with Storm talking about white supremacy. And then I presented on anti-racism. And then uh, shortly after that, there was a panel on anti-racism practices in theater. And um, the overwhelming response was just one of like, we need to keep having this conversation more, which is honestly a, not shocking to me, but one that I wasn't really expecting. Uh, when we were debriefing about the conference, because my whole co cohort went, it was really interesting to me because I already felt a little weary writing the paper and talking about it. Because to me, talking about anti-racism, talking about racism is a lived experience that I've had for almost 30 years. So I feel like it's a conversation that we're almost like not beating a dead horse at, but like everybody's having these conversations and I don't know how much more I can contribute to the conversation. But then after I gave my presentation, the amount of people that came up to me and said, can you present this for PD at my school? We don't talk about this at all. Was honestly a little baffling to me, but also just a reminder of like, the, just because I feel like the work may be done in my space, in the spaces that I've curated myself in, does not mean that the work is done outside of my little bubble and my little world. And I think what was great about MTA was that we got to be in community with each other and see what is happening in spaces that are not our small ecosystem and then be able to help and support each other in those ways. I, I kind of feel, Van, like, you know, you and I are lucky in that being in California, these conversations, I'm not saying we're done because actually right. I think one of the, one of the issues is 
we we can't stop talking about these things because the second that mm. we stop talking about it, the toothpaste is going to keep is going to go back into the into the tube. To be honest, mm. you know, it's going it, to we're going to regress as soon as we stop talking about it. But like, I do think that, you know, you we're lucky because mm-hmm. we 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 don't have some roadblocks that colleagues and maybe some other places would. Um, and I love I love that you're maybe potentially getting some opportunities to do some guest teaching because <laughs> hell baby, let's, let's pad that resume. Okay. Uh, let's get all of those professional like, guest teaching spots. Yep. I mean, what a great let's thing. Pad the CV, pad my CV. Let's, yeah, do, it. let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm curious because there were a number of your, you, you mentioned your cohort and how you yes. got to come back from the conference and debrief. I'm curious. Um, I, I know I sat in at least one or two other presentations from classmates of yours. How many of your classmates uh, actually presented? Um, and I mean, what is that process like being at one of the, you know, maybe the only MFA musical theater program in the country being, you know, uh, such a force at the conference? Yeah, it was really interesting because um, there's my cohort, there's only seven of us. Um, only six of us were able to attend the conference. Um, and out of the six of us that were able to attend, three of us either presented or led a panel, which was really awesome and wonderful. And then to broaden the scope even a little bit farther, the amount of San Diego State MFA alums that presented, like it felt like every session there was some SDSU alum presenting on something which I think really speaks to the amount of care and research that happens here at SDSU uh, which drew me to the school Um, but we all applied to present honestly um, because we were all writing these papers it was around the time that MTEA was asking for presentations or people to submit for presentations and we all knew that we were going to be going to the conference uh, thanks to SDSU and our amazing advisors and faculty making sure that we can get there. So um, all of us applied and it was just really serendipitous that three of us got picked. Uh, My colleague Lindsay got to give a talk about um, body positivity in uh, theater spaces. And then my uh, colleague Justin was uh, one of the panels that talked about anti-racism with some of his former colleagues from Columbia College. So it was great. It really was um, something I remarked to Stephen Brodebeck. I said, this class is awesome. It was like, this (laughs) is, um, and not that my class wasn't or the previous classes were not, but you, there's something really special about this group in particular. And in that um, it feels like you each sit in um, uh, maybe there's a, just a confidence that I just don't remember having my, my going into that, um, Year. There was a confidence. No, no, no. It's very exciting. Come very on, Kikau. No, no, no. I, I there is a the difference. Story. I, I will never forget the MFA student Kikau at co-presenting at one of these MTA conferences with Jacob and me going, who are these guys? I want to be <laughs> yeah. their friends. And yeah. now I am luckily because I, I, yeah. I, it works some Maddie magic, but um, yeah, I mean, I just think the program is extraordinary. I feel like you're it's very awesome. lucky to be there. And I, I, uh, you know, I'm so impressed with Steven and, 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 and Rob and, and anybody who wants to be a musical theater professor, 
that's the place to go, period. I mean, full stop, exclamation point, period. Yeah, I have to agree with you. Because like you say, we all feel, we all present us so confident. I can guarantee you that I was terrified. Like, <laughs> not scared in a sense, but like, this is a brand new space, brand new people. But I think what has really made that easier for us and easier to hide is honestly, our first semester, we were up, we we presented so much last semester just for each other. So just the program, making sure that we are familiar with the act of like getting up and lecturing made spe stepping into that space to talk to our colleagues even easier. And then I also think that MTA is a nice welcoming environment that like it made that process easier as opposed to sitting in a room full of people with stank faces that don't want to hear a single thing about what you have to say. Everybody wants to hear what you have to say. So it was great. Yeah, so that's I, really true. I, I do want to ask, I want to ask one question about, mm -hmm. um, and, and in this moment, I love that you're sharing your nerves, right? There's part <laughs> of, of being a, an educator that's about being vulnerable, right? And sort of sharing those vulnerabilities. And, um, and I think that this um, generation of students like responds well to that. They're, they're interested in seeing human first. They're interested in hearing um, what you have to say. And I, I just am curious if you have any thoughts about, especially working with, um, with young people, young, young people who maybe musical theater or theater, this is their point of entry. Um, what your, your thoughts are about like this upcoming generation, the people that you teach and the people that are, are coming forward. Um, what, uh, uh, do you think they're responding to vulnerability? Do you yeah. do you think that folks as survivors of this pandemic are are asking or, or requesting needing something different than we're already providing? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on that. Honestly, uh, a big core tenet for me as an educator is to lead with my personhood and lead with my whole being. Um, when I re reflect on my own experiences, um, up till at least undergrad, there is this posturing of teachers as like, they are the arbiter of all knowledge, and they are this unattainable person that you cannot see have any cracks or flaws in their humanity. And something that I stole from a choral conductor of mine, um, he said, if the being is right, the doing will take care of itself right? So if we focus on ourselves and making sure that we are coming into the space with all of the amazing things that we have to offer, but also our own personhood into the space, the show is going to go on, the curtain is going to fall, the audience is going to clap, and they are going to leave. So our job is to make sure that we are taking care of and putting responsibility on the people that are in the space. So that's how I like to lead as an educator. And I do find that our younger generation, the musical theater actors and soon-to-be educators that are coming up um, that I'm starting to work with, they respond super well to that because even prior to the pandemic, I think everybody was starting to ask for a little bit more humanity from the leaders that we put into spaces, not just political, but even in education. Like we cannot continue to function in a space or a way where we do not act like we are human beings, right? Um, and one of the most beautiful things I think that came out of the pandemic is that we learned that the show does not have to go on, right? That like, if we need to cancel the show, or if we need to take a break, or you need to call out sick, do the thing that is going to take that you can, because theater was around long before we got here. And theater is going to be hopefully around long before after we pass, right? So what are you doing in the interim to take care of yourself? And I find that leading like that with students, 
students makes them more responsive and excited and engaged in the work because they want to do work and um, material and communicate from their own personhood. So if I model that and lead that, it gives them the agency and makes them feel more comfortable to be able to say, yeah, I am a queer non-binary person in this space. And here's what I get to bring to you because of those experiences, as opposed to separating the art and the artist from whatever you feel like it needs to be separated from. Because tangibly, the reason why we create we create art is because it is a heart form, not an art form, you know? Um, that's amazing. I wrote down lead with your personhood, uh, which I think is a really great takeaway from that statement. So um, I, you have a very, I mean, I know you said it's in, in flux, it's fluid, uh, um, but you, you, you seem to have a very specific vision of how you want to um, affect musical theater education, which seems to be in two parts, uh, on, you know, as an adjunct, potentially part-time uh, university person, but also somebody who's working with young people. And mm -hmm. I don't feel like I come across many people that continue after they've gotten an MFA, continue to be called to work with those younger than the, co at the mm -hmm. college level. And so, so that feels very specific and unique to, to you and your identity and your dreams and goals. And I'm curious if you could speak a little bit about what it is about working with that age that, um, because it's, it's the same, but it's different. Right. And so like, yeah. why, why do, what, what is it about being the person that we think of as San Diego children's theater? You know, what, why, what is it about that? Wow. That's a really, really great question. Um, why do I want to work with like younger people? Well, I feel like we need to have, more people with these advanced degrees working outside of just the collegiate spaces, right? Because you have the opportunity to influence and affect somebody that may not go to college for this program, right? My goal as a music educator and now transforming to a music theater educator is that like, I want you to be a lifelong lover and learner of the arts, right? So I want you to be able to look at and analyze and appreciate all of these amazing things, even if you're not necessarily producing it, if that makes sense. And so I just find it really important that like, we don't, I don't focus on just the people that are doing collegiate work, because there are going to be people that are going to be impactful and doing this work that are not going to step into a college classroom at all in their life. That is so amazing. It's so amazing because, um, you know, if we are truly leading from our personhood and um, part of our personhood is who we were as young people, part of that influence you have, uh, you know, part of my experience as a human being, why I love this so much, why it's so, so part of my DNA is because I had um, educators, influencers, like people who really steered and, and, or didn't steer, you know, one of my favorite uh, directors was someone who was just like, uh, like anything is possible in this space like mm -hmm. and that lesson is something that i've carried through as as a professor as now an administrator like let's talk about it let's talk about what an empty room can be and what like what a budget for glitter is right like it's it's the kind of thing that you don't <laughs> we we think all of a sudden starts um when you know um a prospective audition for a, a 
musical theater BFA happens and it's just right. not real. They began dancing when they were six and have been, uh, you know, uh, reading music and playing piano since they were kids, right? So there's just that yeah. thing of like really making that connection versus just saying it starts now, you know? Yeah. I think also, I also have that same reflection because I got my start in musical theater in youth theater. Like I would not be here if I did not do a production of Annie Junior at nine years old and got bitten by the theater bug, right? And it's just this amazing, um, for me, retooling of like reminding that like we as collegiate world, we teach students because we expect them to go off and do professional careers on Broadway, regional, abroad, et cetera. But a big thing that I really care about is that like Broadway in the great white way is not the pinnacle, right? Like there's amazing, wonderful work happening in community theaters and children's theaters around the countries. And if I can work with some of those people that are going to be doing that work, I can only imagine how that is going to change the landscape of even just community theater pushing past to Broadway in the next 15, 20 years when the students that I'm working with now are now my age and able to work with other students. And how does that propel the future? I want to work with the future of because I'm not going to be here forever. This is y'all's world. So like, let me help you get to where you want to be, you know, if that makes any sense. So now I'm, you do some student teaching at San Diego State, right? So mm -hmm. so you've start you've had a chance to, to start to work with university and, and college age students. What mm -hmm. what do you think is different? It's been a minute since I've 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 done a, a show with little kids. Um, mm. Like how how do you approach the teaching somebody you know in their early twenties versus somebody in who's eleven? It is different. Specifically now, I'm thinking about how many students were affected by the pandemic and um, had to and lost like an entire year online or two years online. And I'm finding that working with students in the like 18 to 21 range of college age, um, there it requires more patience on I think everyone's end, like and more. Um, understanding that I'm, I don't think that we were allowing for others to have prior to the pandemic, like um, that same notion of if you are sick, stay home. Whereas like we used to advertise, like you have to push through it and show up to your job no matter what. Um, I also find that there's a resilience in this age demographic and they really want to express that in the works that they are picking and show how strong and tough and confident that they can be in um, rooms and spaces. And they wanna show what they can offer to the world. And uh, I think what makes that a little bit hard is that sometimes they get really, really stuck in what they want to do. And it is a little bit hard to ask them to take a step back and look at the larger picture of everything. Um, and I also think that is partially attributed to the pandemic where we kind of slowed everything down and zoomed in really, really small on a lot of things, anti-racism, feminism, all of those things. And so that's what they're really hyper-focused on. And the landscape of musical theater that they're about to enter in is not that narrow and not that small. So getting them to take a step back and um, examine all of the facets in the world and see what they can pull from to inform the stories that they want to tell. Oh my gosh, I love it. So uh, if uh, I am a young um, person interested in 
going into musical direction, what advice would you give somebody who maybe has some of the pieces, but doesn't quite know how to put them together to do what it is you're currently doing? If I was a young person trying to go into music direction, what advice would I give them? Listen to a lot of music um, and go and fail big as much as possible. Um, like I'll be 110% honest, I'm not the world's best piano player in the entire world. I actually low-key failed piano three my last semester of college and had to retake it. But I do the work and I try and get better at it. But um, but by just asking for space, you are in school and somebody wants to do a song into a scene and they need somebody to teach the notes, go fail big in that room and make a couple of mistakes when you're teaching the music. But eventually the music is going to get taught. You're going to continue to hone your skill. And you're also going to show people like, hey, I am capable of doing this thing. And like, I, I believe in the notion of like crash and learn, right? Not crash and burn. So like, let's just plow through and keep going. And we're going to learn something from it that's going to be able to um, allow us to stop reflect, retool, and then do something different the next time. So that way the next time is better. I crash and learn in almost every single space I am in. And I take pride in that. Wow. So um, Van, I uh, we always end with our guests by asking for a recommendation for our listeners, yeah. some sort of resource or something that they could potentially use in their teaching, in their classrooms, in their rehearsal rooms. Um, I'm curious if you brought uh, a recommendation for for our listeners. I have four. Whoa! But two, of them, but two of them are not really real. And one of them's anyway, um, my fiance and I have both talked about how this year we really, really, really want to be uh, YouTube university scholars. And um, by way of the College of Google, uh, I truly think that especially nowadays, there is just so much out there that if you try and find it, you will find it, right? Um, YouTube literally has everything. So that's my first one. My second one, there's a Google Chrome extension called Transpose that I just learned about on TikTok. TikTok is also slightly one of the things that I want to talk about because I love TikTok. But, um, and I just gave it to my, um, my musical theater studio students because it allows you to play a YouTube track and transpose it down or up or slow down the pitch. And I just think that's great, especially in this landscape where so many of us are being asked to self-tape and you have to find your own accompaniments, but you might not be able to find it in the key that you want. It's a literally a Google Chrome extension that will do it for you. And then my last one, just because I read it all summer leading up to this program is Joe Deere's acting for musical theater. Um, I, by trade, my undergrad is music ed um, and I've done musical theater my whole life. So just even reading that book and getting to see it synthesize a lot of the things that I know, but I've never really put into words. I just find it a really, really great teaching companion. And I find even now in second semester, I'm still going back to it. And I don't know if I'm ever going to let it go. I think it's stuck with me. Those that are amazing. That is awesome. That's amazing. awesome. Oh, thanks. Thanks. And and great recommendations. That Joe Deere book is I there are only two classes that I teach that I require students to actually spend extra money and buy a textbook. And that's one of the two textbooks yeah. that I make students buy because I think it should live on their shelves forever. It's I amazing. Totally, yeah, it's so good. Yeah. yeah. Well, Van, uh 
I don't think it's any secret that I think you're amazing. Uh, I'm so grateful for the time that you carved out to talk to us literally between classes in the middle of a school day. Um, <laughs> the first week of class, no less. Um, thank you so, so, so much. And um, we will see you soon, I'm sure. Thanks, y'all. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. Oh.